Lee Henson Hasty. I'm Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development with the Presbyterian Church USA Foundation and with the Committee on Theological Education and host these conversations on leading theologically. And my guest today, uh, Dr. Grace Gao, is a theological leader. She fits this uh, so well. She helped found this field that we're talking about today, the subfield of Asian American Christian ethics. She's literally uh, edited uh, a book on this topic, is writing a monograph now uh, on as an introduction um, for folks that will be coming out um, in the next, let's hope, year. Let's hope. A couple of years. Give me a couple of years for this couple season years. volume. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, TNT Clark is uh, working with her on that. Um, we're excited. We'll be talking about some of our other things. But Grace, just thanks for being here, making the time um, as you wrap up the semester, I guess. Yes, that's right. I just did a Claremont School of Theology's virtual graduation this morning. Oh, wow. Gosh. Well, and um, did cap and gown and everything? Yeah, we, we had virtual backgrounds. We had the cap. We had the hood. We had the gown. We, nice. we went full out. Yes. Nice. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, welcome, uh, Polly Williams, Hussein, Pakistan, also a heartbreaking toll. Gosh, it's just, it's, it's a scary time uh, right now mm -hmm. still, um, but we're, thankfully, we can step back. And that's what I've enjoyed about these conversations, to think about bigger questions. And this topic, I mean, it's been relevant for a long time, um, but particularly relevant, uh, I feel like, in the last nine to 12 months, um, Asian American Christian ethics. So I'm um, uh, so excited about this conversation, but before we really dig into it, I'd love to just um, say again, welcome to Grace. She is Professor of Ethics um, and Director of the Center of Sexuality, Gender, and Religion at Claremont School of Theology, where she had the commencement this morning. She's a visiting professor also uh, this academic year uh, with Loyola Marymount University uh, in, in LA. Um, and just stays busy. She's involved in multiple um, theological societies, Society of Christian Ethics. She's, uh, you can read about her in the Journal of um, Race, Gender, Race, yes. Religion, Ethnicity, Race. Race, Gender, and Ethnicity, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Among others, there's just so many uh, places, but um, I will post uh, her website, Dr. Grace Gow, uh, dot com um, in the in the chat um, and look her up. You can see more about her, what she's working on. It's a beautiful website, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Very well done. Um, and um, but thanks again for being here. What is making you come alive, Grace? Uh, what is uh, giving you that life? Howard Thurman says we need people who are coming alive, and hmm. um, we need you coming alive. And what is it that's that's doing that for you. Yeah, thanks Lee, and thanks again for this invitation. So what's allowing me to come and stay alive mm -hmm. um, is this next generation. So I've been teaching undergraduates for the first time in a decade. And so I re-engaged with younger folk and they are committed to social justice, they are trying to be anti-racist. They are, you know, taking steps in their lives to be more environmentally sustainable. You know, they are correcting themselves and improving themselves um, when, when they become aware, you know, of ways they need to change. And so I take 
a lot of hope and inspiration from them um, because my own kids are, I mean, they're not college age, but they're, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen soon enough. Right. So what's, what's making me come alive is them, frankly. That's beautiful. Um, which I didn't say this, but if y'all read about Grace, one of her, uh, maybe it was your first position was at uh, Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, Virginia Polytech Institute, Blacksburg, Virginia. I used to live in the New River Valley myself mm -hmm. before I went to seminary. <laughs> um, and you were there when that, that, uh, during that very difficult time yes. of um, the shooting that happened on campus. This, at that point, it, you know, it feel, felt like that was more of a rare event than it feels like today. Unfortunately, I, I laugh or I'll cry, Grace. But that's right. That's um, right. Your commitment to students now at Claremont School of Theology is, is so clear. What is it that those students, I mean, it's their commitment to justice. What do you think is, is, is giving them that hope uh, and giving them that drive? I mean, what is making them come alive, do you think? Yeah, I, it's got to be a, a confluence of factors, you know, so let's say something like Black Lives Matter, right? Nice. So in summer 2020, BLM marches and rallies became the largest social movement in the U.S., but right. BLM is, is not new, right? right. You know, it, it, the, the movement kicked off in 2013, so what, what explains that, right? And a number of people have said, well, you know, we're all stuck at home, we're all watching TV more, or, you know, um, so that's one piece. What about the environment? Um, mm -hmm. Why are young people uh, changing, changing their eating habits or consumer habits, pressing for businesses and the public right. sector to clean up their act, whether it's water problems in Michigan? You know, I... I, I, I can um, theorize a, a couple of things, but I think um, I think the fact that ordinary folks can have platforms just uh, by doing something like this, just by tweeting. Sure, um, sure. So I think the, the dissemination of power has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I know sociologists, I can't tell you all the reasons why folks are coming alive and taking charge, but I'm, I'm really happy to see it. Well, and, it, and it's, it makes me think how much important your field in Christian ethics is because, mm -hmm. um, and ethics in general, um, because people are making, you know, good choices and bad choices right. <laughs> and using those platforms both ways. We need yes, folks, I think, that's right. particularly at least our audience, um, primarily folks of Christian faith to be guided by, um, you know, Christian ethics makes and, and how we decide what we're promoting, what matters, mm -hmm. et cetera, yes. um, is, is so important. Um, so it makes me think of your own journey. I mean, how, how did you get to sitting where you're sitting um, in, in teaching a visiting professor and, a, and, and also a professor at a theological school, a, a, a premier theological school, by the way? Um, how did you get there? I mean, what, what, what was it was happening within you? What, was, what helped shape and form you personally yes. and professionally? So I'm, I'm glad you asked the question because there are a number of people especially younger women who mm. want to know about my professional path. And I always say, I'm happy to share it, but I hope you won't emulate it because it goes something like this. 
Um, I was raised as a second generation Taiwanese American attending um, a Presbyterian like church. It was called Evangelical Formosan Church. And let's just say I didn't have a model of being a professional woman. Wow. My biggest aspirations in life were to get into Stanford and then to get which married. Which you did. Which you yes, did. which I did. And then to get married and be a stay-at-home mom. Mm. So I got into Stanford and I was still taking my philosophy and religious studies courses because I was interested in the subject matter for its own sake. But I worked out, I'm not interested in getting married, <laughs> you know, at 21 or whatever. Right, right. So it was, it was my undergraduate a thesis advisor who said, you know, Grace, you have a knack for this study. Are you interested in pursuing graduate school work? And so it was a matter of, I didn't want to get married, but I knew I enjoyed the study for its own sake. Mm -hmm. And so he, he coached me through the whole thing. This is where you should apply to and blah, blah, blah. So I did. And um, I fortunately was able to go fully funded. And so I did it not because I had discerned in a vocational way, this was the path that God had for me. Right. I simply did it because I was a young 20 something year old who didn't yet want to get married, but still wanted to be a student. So on paper, it looks like I was super determined and, you know, one step led to another. <laughs> Right, exactly. But in real life, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just knew I enjoyed that, as I said, the study for its own sake. Right. So I went to grad school. And then after grad school, you're supposed to look for a job. <laughs> so I did. Um, and at Virginia Tech, I would say uh, within a few years, I really did feel like, wow, I'm so fortunate that I enjoy what I'm doing. I think I have gifts in this area. You know, it actually gives me an income <laughs> it gives me a professional right. identity yeah. but these are I, not I things paid to do this. Yes, exactly but these are not things i sought after when yeah. i began the process yeah you know it sounds like that thesis advisor which i bet you i'm guessing you do this same thing yes. saw something in you you did not see in yourself and that's right that that seemed like that's a that was uh definitely a turning point to help um that sort of opened a door to a big room that you didn't even know was, you know, that was there. Exactly. And I bet you do, I bet you do the same thing. <laughs> I do the same thing as when I see gifts and I want to encourage them. The academy, Lee, as you know, is know. not something to enter lightly, right? So right. now, unfortunately, you have to think about funding and job market. Absolutely. But, right. Uh, right. you know, with teachers, with people who are in your life, you can only pay things forward. You can never Amen. really pay them back. Right. And absolutely. I try to nurture the next generation of talent when I see it. Right. That's uh, so, that's so beautiful. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you're spending this year or spent this year with uh, undergraduates to mm -hmm. really, important. I think, you know, my wife, who's, you know, a friend, uh, teaching undergrad, she's teaching right now, <laughs> so, um, As we speak, yes. which is, which is, 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 is a beautiful thing. Uh, by the way, I think, uh, another friend of yours, a former guest, Laura, uh, Heifetz, uh, has oh. joined us and uh -huh. saying hey, how Laura. amazing you are. <laughs> um, yes, we love Laura. Um, also, uh, a West coaster, but now, you know, living, living in Tennessee as she's mm -hmm. at Vanderbilt. Um, 
So your dissertation, speaking of that graduate's work, was on human rights theory and philosophical questions around human rights. Um, the Asian American theology, the more contextual kind of work came a little bit later. How did, how did that how did that shift? That sounds like almost a shift in methodology that, yes. that was happening for you. Yeah, so I finished my doctoral degree in 2003. And what ended up happening around, so the, the, the reference you made about the shootings is relevant. Mm. So around 2007, the shootings happened at Virginia Tech. And unfortunately, the shooter is a South Korean male. Oh. And I'm also pregnant um, oh. with my first child who is going Ooh. to be a third generation Taiwanese American. Right. And also in my professional society, the Society of Christian Ethics, a number of us gathered because we realized we didn't have an affinity group. There was already the African, African-American group, the Latinx group, but there had not yet been um, an Asian, Asian-American group. Right. So for a combination of these three factors, you know, giving birth to the next generation, the shootings, and uh, this affinity group, you know, all things came together and we thought, let's explore this contextual approach to ethics. And when we gathered, we worked out, again, this is now 2007. At that point, uh, a very small number of us was actually doing contextual work. And that was surprising to us because if you gather 20 women, a large number will be doing feminist, womanist work. Sure. You gather, you know, so, so then we had to explore, well, why was that? Right. And we worked out, it had to do with our training. So again, I loved my doctoral experience at Harvard, but I did not even know there was such a thing called Asian American theology. I, I literally did not know it. Uh, Panatum has been a really important network for me, but Beautiful. I did not know it existed. Yes. So we'll put a link to Panatum, by the way, folks. Why don't you tell us what that stands for? Okay, so it's it's a very long acronym: Pacific Asian. North American Asian Women in Theology and Ministry. And it's been a network of folks, uh, and it's international too. We always have international students right. and scholars coming. That's been meeting since the 1980s. But wow. I was not tapped into these things. So, yes. you know, all the Asian American theologians and Bible was scholars. Was was she at the sort yes, of beginning of this? Yes, she is mm -hmm. one of the founding members. And she was a graduate student when things kicked off, right? Uh, so there was an East Coast folks, contingent. Folks, if you don't know Kwok Lan, you haven't read any, you know, do it now. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but, she is our, she's definitely one of our elders, right? So on the East Coast and on the West Coast, there was also a group. Uh, and Rita Nakashima Brock was one of the ah, elders on the West Coast. Okay. So this is all to say the shift happens late for me. So again, I graduated in 2003. I'm working at Virginia Tech. Of course, I had Asian American colleagues, but I just did not know there was there were these fields. And, right. um, and we just, meaning we didn't have mentors in ethics. Uh, doing right. Asian American Christian ethics. And so we have this sense that if we're going to do it, we are going to do it. Right? Right. It's going to be us. And at that point, we were graduate students and junior faculty. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the shift. Right, right. And that's, you know, doing something new, you know, pre-tenure is always a little, you know, it's it takes some courage and some risk. <laughs> yeah, you know, Lee, I'm glad you mentioned that because 
for for this generation of that early generation of Asian American Christian ethics and older, if you see people's first books, it's yeah. usually not in contextual work. Right. You know, like you cut your teeth being a Jonathan Edwards scholar right. or a Bart scholar or a Schleimer or whatever, and right. then you do. Right. Right. And but I don't think that's the case today, which good. is very exciting. Oh, that's good news. Yes, right. That there are people <laughs> whose first books are in the field they wanted to be in, right? That's um, beautiful. And so, yes, that is exciting. That's a um. So speaking of your books, I mean, the, so the, the anthology that you help edit, obviously important, and it must have, I mean, it's got a great audience, but the monograph that you're now working on, um, or maybe you just tell us about some of your work and how it's developed. And folks, we got to get to the sur surrogacy book that she's also working on. You got to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. I'm not sure how it all fits in, but I know it does. Um, so, um, but tell us about the, the, the monograph. Okay, yes. Yeah. So the anthology was published in 2015, right? right? And in the monograph, I am trying to, number one, speak in my own voice, because in the anthology, I'm just doing the intro, and I'm, you know, I'm editing and curating the other material. Um, so I'm updating the field. We're trying to fold in more queer voices mm -hmm. and more South Asian voices, um, right. because that unfortunately is not well represented at all in the anthology. And Absolutely. that is a function of the, the then membership of the Society of Christian Ethics, Asian and Asian American Working Group. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's going to be an attention to more queer voices, uh, more South Asian voices. And then also, I have been trying to develop an Asian American theology of reparations, um, I've given wow. uh, several talks on on um, the topic, uh, looking at various case studies. So it, in um, most cases, people know of Asian Americans were the aggrieved party, whether mm -hmm. it's Japanese Americans when they right. were subject to mass incarceration or <clears throat> during the Chinese Exclusion Act, when the U.S. House and the Senate uh, passed a resolution expressing regret, you know, okay. so... But in, there are other cases where Asian Americans are part of the group giving the apology. And the most famous case is in Hawaii, where hmm. um, subsequent generations of Asian Americans um, apologized to Native Hawaiians for being, and you know, the US government has apologized for the illegal overthrow of the one-time kingdom of Hawaii. Wow. But Asian Americans were so part of the monetary reparations, part of a public apology, part of a redistribution of land. So I think Asian Americans are uniquely positioned in having been on both sides. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at some critical race theorists, I'm looking at these case studies, and um, I'm, I'm going to be incorporating that in, in this monograph to come. You know, but, you know, yeah, sorry. Well, not the land piece, I was just thinking, I had a guest a couple uh, um, earlier this spring, Christine Hong, who you may know at yes. Columbia Seminary, and her work on decolonializing um, uh, Christian education. And, she, and we were talking about land. Yes. <laughs> land. Like, that's what really the, the whole term is, is about. So it's I'm glad you bring up this. Uh, reparations piece and tie that in because we we sometimes just tie that into sort of 
uh, in the African American community, obviously something mm -hmm. we, we need that needs to be addressed. But this is, um, I think that is so important. And it's about return, what she's taught me, and I think many folks, it's about returning land. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and there's been a lot of land, uh, you know, particularly when you think about um, Southeast Asia uh, in general and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the Pacific. Um, Gosh, that just that's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we uh, it's it's you have to laugh or you'll cry. I guess. Yes, Grace. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh wow! But I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. What I was going to say is that um, so I started working that about a year and a half ago. But in this middle section, um, I'm trying to complete work on my surrogacy book. So that's uh, commanded the lion's share of my attention. And uh, hopefully I'll have the manuscript done by the end of the summer, and then I'll go through the various processes. So I'm trying to do a feminist, Christian, um, uh, ethical ap approach or account of surrogacy. Wow. And I understand this is something you experienced as part of yes. that contextual for you. That's right. So it's experiential. So um, I was not formally trained as a bioethicist. But when you're a feminist, of course, you are interested in reproductive issues, sure. rights, welfare, well-being. This is, this is an important topic right now. With a, yes, exactly. Court, That's right. <laughs> so um, when I was a surrogate for a friend and people would say, oh, my God, what? You know, and they would ask me questions and I would, you know, respond to their questions. And a number of them would say, you know, Grace, you really should write about this. And I, again, this was clearly never my intention. It's not like I was trying to get a book deal you know, uh, out of my surrogacy experience. You were doing but, what you believe was something faithful. You were making a yes. good Christian ethical decision. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, but I, but that, then I did think, you know, actually how many professionally trained ethicists have actually lived through the experience of surrogacy, right? Probably, there, so there, right. you know, so let's, let's say uh, Rebecca Todd Peters, you know, a, friend, a mutual friend of ours, right. she's had some abortions and she's written about it, right? right. So, the, you know, there's, there's, um, and that is a standard part of feminist methodology, right? To right. be drawing upon personal and other women's experience. So yes, for that reason, I thought, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> I'm, wow. I'm going to start writing about this. Yeah. Gosh, I can't wait. Is there any little um, windows into that or things for folks to be uh, thinking about? Uh, before? Yeah, I, yeah, I wish I gave you this link beforehand, but what I put out a trial balloon, meaning I gave a paper at the Society of Christian Ethics a couple years ago, Okay. just not knowing, like, is, is the society going to tar and feather me or am I going to be applied? I just, I just didn't know, right? Um, because when you talk about surrogacy, of course, you have to talk about IVF. So you're talking about the treatment of embryos and, you know, right. that's a sensitive issue for a number right, of people. Right, right, right. Um, but it was, it was well received, even by people who might not have followed every step of my argument. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been published. But in that piece, I was only talking about altruistic or non-compensated surrogacies. Mm -hmm. And then the book, I'm doing both. I'm talking Actually, about non-compensated and also compensated. Now, where was it, where was it published, Grace? If in, in the Journal of the Society of Christian Ethics. Okay. So if you have 
uh, access or go to the go to that website, uh, Society of Christian Ethics Journal, Society of Christian Ethics, also ATLA. What year would it, was that published? I want to say two years ago. Okay. Um, like 2018, yes. 2019, something like that. Somewhere. Okay. Well, we will see if we can find the link to include uh, later in the, in the follow-up. Um, okay. So, um, so where does this all go next? I mean, <laughs> this feels like you're doing sort of foundational, some foundational work. Um, mm -hmm. and, and even with this surrogacy book, it, I'm sure it has influence, you know, there's some influence. So where, where's this all going next? Who else is doing this kind of work that folks might like to know about? Uh, that you're reading or you're working with? I'm, I know you're a collaborator. Yes, kind of. right. Okay, so on the surrogacy front, surrogacy is controversial. It divides the Christian community. It divides yeah. the feminist community, right? But in terms of what's next, I don't know about me personally, but what's next is uterine transplants, Wow. And ectogenesis, meaning Ooh. artificial wombs, right? And so for one segment of the feminist community, so-called radical feminists, that right. is their worst nightmare. Technology right. taking over. Just, you know, you, you don't even need a woman's body. You can do an artificial womb. That is next step, right? From surrogacy wow. where you use a third-party woman to uterine transplant where you use someone else's you don't need the full woman, you just need her uterus, or you do wow. an artificial womb, ectogenesis. Wow. So again, I don't know if I will be doing that work, but that is definitely next on the well, ethical consideration scale. You even bringing that up, I mean, I'm thinking I've served uh, as a pastor, there's pastors who are listening in today, um, these kind of questions. You never know what question will come to your phone or to your desk or yeah. people... <laughs> walking out the back, you know, shaking your hand after the sermon or in the Zoom room now or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, these will be questions in the these next five, questions. 10, maybe sooner. I mean, Absolutely. I'm glad you're already, I mean, this is why we have, uh, I love the Theological Academy that works with the church is that you're helping think about those so that others can think about them um, in faithful ways later. How about in the Asian American Christian ethics world? Where do you think yes, things are going? Yes, that's right. Gosh, so, before our time wraps up, I'm so sad to say. <laughs> oh, that, that's all right. So um, as we've been talking about, there has been a rise in consciousness about um, anti-Asian American hate. Right. right. The bill so, that's on the president's desk. There you, you go. Know. Right. So there's been funnily national attention. I think there have been DEI efforts on college campuses, you know, for for very appropriate reasons. DEI initiatives sometimes or I would say for, for appropriate reasons, they focus on anti-black racism. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is important. That needs to be the case. What's, what's, what's next, though, is talking about cross-racial solidarity, mm. talking about, in some cases, historic Black-Asian tensions, but also Black-Asian solidarities, right? So they're, you know, you, it's kind of like, this is going to be kind of an odd analogy, but it's kind of like um, after 9-11, uh, after if you were a religion professor sitting on an airplane, chatting someone up and they said, hey, you know, you study religion. People's first question was, does the Quran really say, you know, like that, that is where the nation was, right? But as a religion scholar, you want to move past that first question, right? So whether it's how do you build 
a racially just society? How do you, the, the things you yes. said before That's about land, you know, <laughs> solid, right? We want to move. Okay. So we, we, we raise the consciousness and then people have those first questions. And what comes next is to get into the messiness, to mm. get into the nuances, right? And we're going to need all voices, <laughs> all, all, everyone. All hands on deck. Exactly, exactly <laughs> for that. Right. Well, and that's a, that's a wonderful word, I think, to the group listening now or later is we need your voices, your context, your experiences um, to help us think through these together. And friends connect with grace read um about her work and um pray for her we we pray for you you're you already oh, are a you. gift have been a gift um and continue to be from blacksburg virginia to claremont california <laughs> to taiwan to wherever you know there's there's links in your life um here in louisville kentucky let me just say we're, mm -hmm. we're so grateful for you your your scholarship your friendship your witness your willingness um, to be courageous, your willingness to mentor others, uh, and then talk about it. Um, like today, thanks so much for who you are and what you're doing. And um, uh, please take care of yourself along oh, the way. <laughs> <It's> a, that's <laughs> and a lot. And you too, and all those watching um, for sure. And yes. I'd love for you to bless and charge us uh, in a moment if you're willing. Um, sure. Let me just say thanks to everybody who's joined us today. I'm glad to have you here. I see you, Jeff, there from North Carolina. Um, he's giving thanks for work being done and for young students and scholars being guided by folks like you. And um, it's true. Um, in two weeks on June 2nd, I'll have with me Brian Ellison. He's the executive director uh, of the Covenant Network of Presbyterians, among other things. And they're working on um, real inclusion in the LGBTQI community mm. in the church. And how, how, and it's sort of some of that messy work, Grace, you're mm -hmm. talking about. Like, we've made some decisions. It's in some of our constitutional documents, what have you. But now what does real inclusion really look like? And mm -hmm. They're working on that with the Covenant Network, and Brian has been working on that for quite some time. And contextually, let me just say, and uh, we'll be happy to have him here with us. Hope others will join us. Um, please bless, charge, send us, um, Grace, if you will. Okay, yes. So I would like to leave you with some famous words from Yuri Kochiyama. She is my personal shiro, a radical revolutionary civil rights activist, model for Black Asian solidarity, also a Presbyterian, also someone who is interreligious. And this is uh, some words she shared in a Passion for Justice documentary in 1993. And I'm going to abridge it so it's not going to be perfect. Okay. Amen. Remember that consciousness is power. Consciousness is education and knowledge. Consciousness is becoming aware. Consciousness raising is pertinent for power. But be sure that power will not be abused, uh, abusively used, but be used for building trust and goodwill domestically and internationally. Tomorrow's world is yours to build. Hey, hallelujah, amen. Tomorrow's world is, is ours to build. May that be. Um, and thanks again and peace and grace to everyone. I will hope to see you soon.